I think my brain is malfunctioning. I just went to start the start doing the recording and I pressed the mute button. I saw that and I was wondering if Yeah, I was literally talking came yeah. into nope. the room or you accidentally hit it. No, I hit the mute button instead of the record button. I'm in one of those I'm days. Sure you said something. I'm sure I'm sure you said something very funny. Very, very funny and insightful. That's it. I'm yeah. really turning into one of those like old guys that like when the when the time change comes. I should be used to it by now, you know? I'm, like, approaching middle age here. I should be used to the idea that, like, in, you know, late November, it gets dark early and stuff, but every single year, I'm like, ah, oh, what's happening? What's going on with this? I don't know. It's surpri- it takes me by surprise every time. It messes up my whole schedule. My whole tightly regimented schedule of mental and physical, you know, improvement. It's all off the rails right now. Yeah, I mean, you wake up, you go to the content mines, you grind exactly uh, the Fortnite battle pass, uh, rinse and repeat. <laughs> That's right. And uh, I've been taken out of this routine. I'm sorry. Very unfortunate. Um, how was that? I, uh, I, how was that? You did that uh, that whole slick squid game thing the other day. What was that? What was going on with that? We did. Yeah, on on Friday nights, I host a show in the Young Turks called Game Busters. Uh, it's a gaming show and. Uh, you, the the premise is we you, we want the chat to fuck with people like and sometimes it'll be like if you gift a few subs it'll impact the game so if we play Fortnite, you have to drop our shit and like use all our mats to build you a giant house um two weeks ago i had lucas Kuntz, who was he's a populist senate candidate from missouri we played magic the gathering because he's a huge magic head and oh, nice. if people gifted subs, I would have to pass my turn or like not attack, depending on how many they gave. It was very funny. Um, but this week we did a crab game, which is a free to play squid game knockoff. And we just you could have like lobbies of up to 40. So we had chat actually come in and some fucking prick like shoved me off, <laughs> like shoved oh, me man. off one of the because uh, the games are like similar to the ones in the show. So we, it was like an iteration of the bridge, like glass panel game. I actually have not watched the show. Oh my god! I'm Dude, one of the few it. people that has that has yet to get around to this. I I don't I'm watch tired like all the time. Anything. I don't know. I can't do. I can can I haven't been able to do it yet. I get it. I get it. Because you know, <laughs> I don't watch. I typically don't watch TV. I don't watch a lot of movies. I'm just a gamer because it's more interesting. So that's what I'm doing in my free time. But I watched an episode on a whim one day. Because I my buddies were talking about it a lot, and it's like, all right, I'll give it, I'll give it a shot. And the first episode like was nuts, and I had the whole series finished by the end of the next day. Okay, um, it's so so cool, uh, and it's it's great. It's a commentary on how people, how desperate people will get when they're saddled with debt or under crushing economic systems, and it's interesting. But we played Which that. Which is funny because I saw a number of takes about how it actually, the actual point is that, that communism is bad. <laughs> Dude, only a fucking dumbass would watch that and think that. I mean, it's people who, the people who are pushing that were like people like what, the Federalist or whatever, Daily Wire, yeah. who everything is, whatever they yeah. consume, they just project their views onto it. And it's always- We can't say anything of, bad about the daddy communism. market. Yeah. I mean, it's so obviously, <laughs> I mean, even the creators of the show said it's about how capitalism is brutal. Yeah. But that's like so- obviously it's so heavy-handed i mean it's i don't think it's terrible but it's like it's obvious when you watch yeah. it that's what it's about 
because they're living in a capitalist society that has crushed them in debt and they have to resort to deranged things to try to get out of it yeah so so in the so in the game though one of the one of the cruel viewers was messing with you i guess yeah um damn (laughs) shove you could like slap other characters by clicking the mouse it's very simple it's a very simple game but you could slap one of the characters um and i was like on the edge of something and some fucking prick slapped me and knocked me off i died well sorry to hear that yeah we had a lot of good we had a lot of good folks play a lot of friends of this show and our streams play it was great it was a ton of fun and rob bailed at the last second he's a, he's a fucking as, flake fake friend as i do <laughs> as, <laughs> as i've known to do from time to time um yeah I, i'm sure i'm sure it was fine without me you did okay <laughs> so we have uh on the show today returning guest darna noor uh, formerly of gizmodo and now with the boston globe currently climate reporter a lot of stuff going on on this front in terms of the COP26 just happened. We've got all the stuff in the, in uh, Joe Biden's Build Back Better framework uh, to talk about. We've got uh, stuff happening in Canada. We've got climate disasters and indigenous uh, land defenders and climate protesters being being uh, assaulted and harassed and arrested by the, the RCMP. A lot of stuff to get into with Darna. We had a really good conversation with her and as usual uh with this program it got a little grim at times but i thought it was, it was a really good talk though yeah as usual <laughs> um it was good it was great i <laughs> one day we'll have a conversation that like, makes people feel good and inspired I eventually mean, I, I, one of these times our we'll only real this. episode was the post nevada one <laughs> like that's it yeah it's been all downhill from there uh, isn't it damn that's it I listened back to that a couple weeks ago too. It was really? extremely painful why do you keep to listen doing to. This to yourself? You've I don't know why this, I did like, this. Times. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why I did it. I was just kind of more curious to like remember. There's there was a moment where it felt like something good might happen. That was kind yeah. of nice, just to kind of revisit that. But it actually ended up making me feel worse. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Um, before Darna comes on again, it gets a little bit grim, and I don't want to talk about too much more depressing stuff before she even joins the show but we should take a minute to talk about the the kyle rittenhouse trial and the verdict that came through this week were you surprised by the outcome of the the rittenhouse trial no not at all uh as the case went on and the the more i saw from that judge um just the more unsurprising that verdict became like the the conversation he had about screenshotting his text messages and emailing them to himself and then them like (laughs) being ill in like illegible in his emails and him saying that undercuts uh the prosecutor's arguments about a certain piece of evidence the trump theme song wasn't like he that big of a deal but it was like interesting on his, his ringtone and then him letting kyle pick the jurors out of the little tumbler uh with a few other things and not not able not allowing prosecutors to call the victims victims uh framing them as what, like what is with that that's so bizarre like, what do you call them? looters you know like dehumanizing people looters and like rioters murder. yeah exactly um and even sh- and shot and survived and t- testified it just like 
You kind of saw it coming. I thought it was a little alarming when he picked when he picked up Rittenhouse and cradled him in his a arms kiss and on the head. called him a sweet a sweet beautiful boy <laughs> as well. I thought that was a little un- inappropriate and unprofessional. Also, yeah, but it's just like that wasn't surprising, <laughs> and that's just like this is, there's this depressing conclusion that like this kind of signals to other gun nuts that like it's open season on protesters, and you already have states who are making it legal to uh, drive into protests if they're in the street, which is just horrific i mean you you have a right to freely assemble it's in the same you know it's in the same bill of rights that these gun nuts try to cling to well and when you look for the people that monitor this telegram channels and you know the communications of these kind of these militia types and proud boys they were really celebrating this you know they were really excited by this and it wasn't because it was like some kind of a you know a win in the in the marketplaces of ideas or some kind of protection of rights and freedoms they're really celebrating that like it's going to be like open season and on on protesters in the in future future incidents like this like that's that's really how they were openly kind of framing it you saw that kurt schlichter guy as well complete psycho just saying like you know these leftists got murdered and there's nothing you can do about it just really really grim stuff just really openly celebrating in the murder of these people really really disturbing stuff uh it that says nothing good about where any of this is going right um i think if people were truly impacted by this on the right i think the most reasonable read would be okay this is a guy who fucked up and now he gets you know grace and mercy and a second chance and he should better himself i don't think that's i think this kid knew exactly what he was doing and you could see in his actions outside of court that he was reveling in it and he put on a face for for the judge and the jury but like it's it's absolutely craven when you have people like that celebrating like it's a sports team winning because they they enjoy that they enjoy people on the other side getting killed they like that. There's no hiding it. They, they, they revel in their political opponents literally being murdered, and that's disgusting. And it only gets worse from here. That's what's horrifying. Yeah, and I guess just the the sort of I know I understand with the level of court system that it's at, it's not setting like a legal precedent, but it is setting some kind of precedent, right? Um, in terms of like what what is kind of acceptable in terms of these tense, dangerous situations. And what I kept coming back to as well was like, you know, this idea of self-defense. And when you can, when you point out that like, well, one guy was rushing at Rittenhouse with a, with a skateboard. One guy was rushing at him. He was armed. So he's, you know, he's defending himself. It's a cut and dry. But that's kind of like obfuscating this idea of like, what, why does he have the right to defend himself in this situation? But these other, these other people that are involved in this dangerous situation where there's an active shooter who is already killed once and is now, you know, walking around still holding a a dangerous assault weapon. I, do they not have the right to defend themselves in the situation? Like, I guess not. I guess according to this, this sort of precedent that's being set, the only person that has this legal right of self-defense is the guy that was there with a, a dangerous firearm and everyone else apparently doesn't have the same right, which, you know, again, it's like, that's not leading anywhere good, especially when you kind of understand the framework that, you know, these protests, whether it's for racial justice, whether it's for climate, there's going to be more of these protests and there's going to be more of this kind of stuff happening. And now it's kind of creating the situation where these sort of right wing or, or militia types are going to feel really emboldened to go to these situations. And the moment that they feel like they're being threatened or that they're, they're uh, you know, the same excuse that police use in perpetuity to def- make excuses for when they when they kill, 
this now apparently has been extended to any 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 sort of right wing uh, militia gun nut that's going to be showing up to one of these protests in the future, um, which is just really really fucking alarming. Yeah, I saw I saw someone comment the other day uh, in response to another friend of the show, a respectable lawyer. <laughs> just the last person alive is innocent, and it's just like in these types of scenarios, like doesn't matter if the guy who kills you has a gun. Uh, if you're charging him, or tr- even if you're trying to disarm him, um, if he kills you, he's innocent because he's CC was a scared boy, despite the fact that he's like totally, yeah. it's a total mismatch because he's got a fucking assault rifle. Yeah. And like under this legal framework, if one of these people had shot Rittenhouse, it probably would have been the same thing, you know? So it's literally setting this, 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 uh, setting up the situation where, you know, it's basically whoever is left standing in these incidents, they're going to have this right to claim that they were defending themselves. Um, and, and that's it. And it's like, that's, it's just going to make these situations way more volatile and way more, way more violent. Yes, but I think the, the thing you were saying off the bat is just that, you know, it wasn't surprising. I don't think anyone should be surprised by it. Um, but it's, it was certainly very depressing to see this kind of, um, to see this progress. I know for a while in this sort of like liberal left circles, it was kind of like you had a few kind of outliers kind of saying that, that, you know, Rittenhouse did nothing wrong, kind of defending him. And then it seemed like, especially over the last couple of weeks, that became kind of like on vogue. And you had a number of people kind of making this claim. And it's just, it's, it's depressing. It's, it's really messed up to see, to, to see this kind of progression uh, from when the incident took place and when there seemed to be kind of a consensus on it uh, to now, when you had a lot of people kind of like, even people that claim to be on the left sort of taking Rittenhouse's side. Really discouraging stuff. Yep. It's uh, just grotesque, the reactions, like celebrating it, saying you did nothing wrong, selling merchandise like Don Jr.'s doing. Really, really disgusting yeah. stuff. Well, and then, like, because you said as well, you kind of put on airs during the trial. And then now he's doing this big, they did a big, you know, uh, Tucker Carlson documentary. And now he's saying, oh, no, I, I support racial justice and I support Black Lives yeah. Matter. And we're, I guess everyone's just supposed to kind of take that at face value and not just like understand the extent to which this is just part of a this narrative of like, oh, the media got this wrong. The media is kind of lying to you. The idea that he could be kind of exaggerating or just saying this is just completely, I guess, not an option. One somewhat funny thing, though, is to see the, the right wing freak out, the people that were like raising him up as a hero as soon as he said, oh, no, I support racial justice. They're like, what? How dare you say that? Uh, that was some that was kind of a minor sort of positive element that you could kind of take some kind of solace in to an overall situation that is just really fucking uh, alarming and a really kind of ugly sign of where things could be possibly going when it comes to these big kind of protests. Um, and it looks like we're recording this on Monday night. It's about 840. Uh, Rittenhouse is on with Tucker right now. Um, and I don't know if I even want to look at clips. Just like yeah, in, in, in raging. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I can't do it. I can't do it. I know I saw there was a lot of people that have been like covering the trial extensively and talking about it a lot, but I just find it way too depressing, yeah. <laughs> way too depressing to, to think too much about. Uh, but, you know, it was a pretty big news story this week. So I think it's important to sort of talk about it a little bit. And I guess, I mean, I, I don't think we need to spend too much more time on it, especially, like I said, we've got we've got Darna coming on. We've got this really great talk about the climate, Biden's agenda, what's happening in Canada right now. Uh, really, really informative and, and great conversation with Darna coming up. So let's put a pin in that. And let's bring on uh, Darna Noor of the Boston Globe. She's going to be joining the program right after this.
joined by Darna Noor. And Darna, last time you joined Two-time us. Two-time champ. Yeah, returning. <laughs> um, last time you joined us, we were, you know, just being crushed under the weight of the crippling, uh, draconian, archaic, regressive burger ban by the Biden administration. Yeah. God, yeah, and, I know. And I don't know how we all made it through that. Uh, it's traumatizing <laughs> for all of us. Um, I've yeah. since had burgers, restoring uh, my freedom, my civil liberties. <laughs> exactly. Uh, don't tell anyone I went to the burger speakeasy the other week, uh, had an illegal burgers. burger. <laughs> wow, this is crazy because I actually I ate a burger earlier and I was literally murdered afterwards by the burger, yes. the meat police. Wild Biden's meat police. Uh, you know you were, deserved it. That's true. I didn't. I wasn't aware that their jurisdiction came all the way up here, but learn something new every day, I guess. Well, they're part of like the trilateral commission. It's like a Bilderberg thing, uh, so it's <laughs> right. just they can go everywhere. <laughs> uh, yeah, speaking of burgers, I everyone hypes up fucking In and Out and. I tried it a couple weeks ago, and it was so underwhelming relative to the hype, and people got mad at me for yeah. saying it's fine. Uh, but I'm going to Texas this week, and I'm gonna I'm gonna do the same thing with Whataburger. Just tweet out that it's fine, just to get a rise <laughs> out of people who have weird, like regional. Uh, oh yeah like pride in fast casual burger places totally i definitely i feel like saying it's fine is like somehow even more of an own than saying it's bad <laughs> like if you're like what a burger is awful i feel like people will get less pissed about it than if you're like what a burger is actually just fine yeah it's mediocre it's yeah. just okay it's amazing <laughs> i felt the same way when i was in la i went to in and out as well and i was very excited i'd been hearing about lots of hype about in and out and I tried it, and I just I was I found it pretty underwhelming. Yeah, yeah. It was like I a think, slightly better McDonald's. That's where I would. Yeah, that's where I would place that. I don't that. get it. I, I also, if you had Shake Shack, Rob, I'm darn You probably I have. It's, it's yeah. more of an East Coast thing. It rocks. Yeah, yeah, yeah Shake Shack's definitely better. I think honestly, people are just into In and Out because they love mayonnaise, but they don't want to admit that they want to eat that much mayonnaise <laughs> on a burger. And they're like, "Oh, yeah. I don't know what it is that makes it so amazing." And you're like, oh, "Well, it's probably <laughs> maybe all this. Maybe it's all this egg and oil and fat <laughs> exactly. I put on." Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Animal style. Yeah, I had the burger animal style, and still, it was like, oh, "Okay, it's like a burger with Thousand Island. That's fine." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. People take this shit very seriously, though. That's the regional true. burger uh, burger yeah. wars. Get a life. Become a gamer. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Why don't you get a real hobby, okay? Yeah. <laughs> Darn, I think you confirmed last time you were on you are a gamer. Are you still? I confirmed last time that I'm not a gamer, unfortunately, and I have not Ooh, worked on it. I'm really why sorry. Did we, why did we invite her back on? I'm so sorry. <laughs> I should have lied, honestly. The problem is if, if I lie, you're going to like ask me questions that I won't know the answer yeah. to. I'll just be like, oh, yeah, I you like can't the one steal. with the cute animals. I don't know. <sighs> yeah, I know that one. You can't steal gamer valor here. Like That's that's kind of our yeah, that's yeah. Our yeah. project. Yeah. <laughs> I, had, I had friends uh, get spawn killed. Uh, holding your controller, <laughs> you don't you don't get to claim that valor. Oh yeah. god! I died face down in the muck in Call of Duty. God, I'm sorry that I would even joke about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's, well, this it's is okay. serious business. Clearly, <laughs> um, Rob's your gaming days are probably over, huh? Because you your computer broke. Yeah, I had a little bit of a scare. A uh, little mm-hmm. bit of a scare with my computer, which I thought was maybe bricked. Had to bring it in for repairs, but it's only a minor minor setback. I'm gonna be right back in the competitive gaming circuit, hopefully That's by right. tomorrow. Right, I've been grinding. I've been grinding on Fortnite to get the Carnage skin, and I tell myself it's for my son because he really likes the 
the skins and stuff. So it's like, oh, I don't really care myself, but he really likes it. So I guess I'll have to continue playing Fortnite all the time to get these skins, I guess. You know, what is uh, the carnage uh, skin? The like carnage the... skin? What is the carnage skin? Well, it's just you can you can you have different skins and they have different tie-ins with different like films and comic books and stuff. So mm. you can just, you can just like be carnage running around in the Fortnite world. My oh, son is very, sense. very into the whole symbiotes, venom and carnage and all the other various serious B, B, B tier <laughs> uh, symbiotes that are also out there. He really is obsessed uh-huh. with it. He loves this. Yeah. This Sounds is a like Marvel it. thing, right? God, I'm like so doing such a bad job at keeping up <laughs> with this, right? This is a Marvel thing. I think, I hope yes. so. Yeah, okay. yeah. Venom Carnage. It's it, They're offshoots of the Spider-Man universe. Got they it. started as Spider-Man villains, but then they kind of spun off into their own thing. I see. You're not missing anything. All that shit sucks, Darna. That's <laughs> um, the, the skin that I've been using a lot lately is the Ariana Grande skin, what? which is, I think, just hilarious <laughs> that she's in Fortnite. <laughs> yeah, you just play as Ariana Grande. Like, that's it. Yeah. Damn. Pretty cool. Maybe I should that get is into cool. it. Yeah. They've got something for everyone to spend their money on. <laughs> um, I love choice. Yeah, it is it, it's it's P consumer choice. Uh but but on a serious note, Darna, you're here because you uh are a, a climate reporter and you have, you know, been covering the latest developments in the Biden administration on the climate front. So who better to come in to talk about like a, a another COP26 recap? And, uh, and I'm thrilled because the climate's fixed. It is. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, they, I was really inspired by all the all the big speeches the and everything fountains. at COP26. Exactly. It turns out they that cut some deals. Actually, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, We're good to go. Exactly. <laughs> they capitulated to the coal industry. It's great. Yeah. Uh, Clean but, and, coal. And, and, they wash it off <laughs> first, so it makes it next not as polluted. <laughs> So. Scrub it with that's right. toothbrushes. <laughs> that's right. That's how you employ so many people too. You get everyone to work uh, scrubbing yeah. coal with toothbrushes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and there's also been some developments in the oil pipeline front. We want to get into uh, with you, but to go back to what we we you, you know mentioned, there's this global climate conference, and we talked about it on the last episode, and kind of how. The leaders of our generation have inspired mostly cynicism among young people. And we've said we felt like that event was just another iteration, which was funny because Obama spoke uh, talking about how leaders of our generation have let us down, him being one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so well, he left that part out, actually. Exactly. He, kind of, yeah, uh, exactly. yeah. he just forgot. He was pressed yeah, for not time. Me. Not <laughs> me. I'm still very inspired, but I, everyone else is very... Uh, I can see why it's very disappointing for everyone. Yeah, He's that wasn't me, guy. people, he said. Uh, his hands were tied. Uh, you know, it was, it was just the cabinet. It was everyone he appointed. It yeah, was... exactly. It turns out the president <laughs> has no power, actually. Yeah. They only had 59 senators, so they can't... <sighs> Can't do anything with that. If only we voted harder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Darna, Jesus. what were some of your takeaways from COP twenty six? Are you feeling inspired? Um. Yeah, I'm feeling. I'm feeling. Uh, I guess, like all jokes aside, it's really horribly depressing. <laughs> um, I mean, That's why we're trying to honestly, inject some like, levity maybe, into the whole the... conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really it's really bad i think the only the only good thing about cop 26 maybe um or like whatever there are other small good things but maybe the best part of it is that it actually could not ever have done all that much anyway 
So the fact that it was a disappointment is like not um, surprising and it was no more of a disappointment than anyone should have expected it to be, which is like a pretty awful reason to feel good. But, you know, at least the thing that was totally botched um, never really had the power to do all that much in the first place. So, um, yeah, I mean, as always, like lots of beautiful speeches um, lots of big, vague promises. And then when it came down to it, uh, you know, the language that actually got into this agreement, which isn't even binding in the first place, really, um, was just like, you know, a, a joke compared to like the scale of action that we actually need to, you know, like secure a livable future and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, pretty, pretty bad stuff, I would say. Hmm. Seems bad. Something that we've been seeing uh, over the last couple of weeks and months is is the climate components of Biden's Build Back Better framework getting mm-hmm. kind of meticulously kind of chiseled away at. Um, yeah, I know during the pri- during the like the Democratic primary during the election, I, you know, a lot of people would often say like, "Look at, you know, yeah, oh, certainly Biden doesn't support the Green New Deal, and he's he's in fact vocally said that he's not he's against something like that." But you got to look at all these great things in his climate plan. It's this big trillion dollar, uh, you know, comprehensive agenda that we should all be excited about. And you know, over the course of the last couple of weeks, that's all just been kind of like evaporating away. Um, which made it kind of funny because when they're going to COP26 there and kind of like trying to present this this idea that they've been uh, having all the kinds of success in that area, they haven't actually made a deal yet and they still haven't really like actually done totally. anything in terms of enacting this big agenda. Totally. Um, can you like, like, are you plugged into exactly what is still in this agenda? Not that they've even passed anything yet, but like, is there anything to feel good about this in terms of what Biden is like, is trying to propose and what might still have a remote possibility of actually passing at this point? I mean, uh, you know, the Build Back Better Act that the House passed last week does have some really good things in it. I mean, again, like just dwarfed by the level of like action that we actually need but it has some good things in it. The problem is, right, like, who knows if any of that will actually survive? Um, and who knows if Biden will actually try to, like, fight for its survival when it comes to Joe Manchin and Christian Sin- Kristen Cinema, um, etc. You know, like, I, uh, there are, you know, there's, like, investments in there to um, help people save money on their energy bills, even though it's nowhere near enough money. There's money for like e-bikes, even though it's nowhere near enough money. There's money for a civilian climate court, even though there's nowhere near enough. Um, and yet these things are being touted as though they have any chance in our current climate of like actually making it anywhere. Um, so that's the, the sort of stuff that we need congressional approval for. And then, you know, on the like level that Biden can actually control um, from the White House, we've seen some pretty devastating shit, too. Um, you know, just two weeks ago, the Biden administration held the largest oil and gas sale in U.S. history um, or the largest offshore oil and gas sale in U.S. history, rather. And that's despite the fact that Biden ran on like, you know, at least temporarily halting uh, drilling on public lands and in public waters. And like, you know, that's already, you're talking about like public lands and public waters, which is already a tiny fraction of like what, where drilling actually happens. Um, You're talking about a temporary provision to halt it, but still, you know, that would have been better than nothing. And now it turns out, you know, what we actually are getting is basically nothing um, or, or worse than nothing as it were, right? Like this is an even bigger 
lease sale than anything that the Trump administration ever held. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it's it's pretty clear that like, you know, on the global scale, we're seeing the same thing where leaders are making all of these pledges and then, you know, all of the data is showing that those pledges are not really bearing out. Um, and I think that's similar to what we're sort of seeing on the domestic front. Yeah. So this this plot in the Gulf that was auctioned off is bigger than the state of Texas, I believe. Um, is that right? It was like 800 square miles or something like that. And I think 80 million acres was the figure. It's larger Jesus than New Christ. Mexico. Um, so obviously just a colossal piece of land uh, and breaks with a pretty explicit campaign promise of no new offshore drilling. And mm-hmm. uh, now uh, <laughs> we have like Chevron and I think like Exxon who are like very quickly uh, yeah. chomping at the bit to... Uh, get in there, get in on the action. And uh, I want to add that Chevron is also the same company that has sought to destroy Stephen Donzinger's life uh, because they polluted uh, indigenous communities in uh, Ecuador and he uh, took them to task and they then just went out of their way. We've talked about it on the show a lot. They went out of their way to just ruin his life. So... um, and now he's in prison and Biden yes. has said nothing. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh, it, it, and not only has he said nothing, it's uh, also the DOJ uh, published a or, or filed a brief in that case. That's right. That yeah. supported on the use of a private of, yeah, prosecutor that Chevron uh, had litigate the case. It's insane. But we've, we've talked about that a lot in the show. It's 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 nuts. So this it's breaks with the campaign promise. But there's a little bit of a complicating factor because this was a Republican led uh uh, legal effort to block any attempts by uh, the Biden administration to uh, prohibit offshore drilling. Is that right? Yeah, that's so for sure. Like the when basically when the Biden administration first took the White House, they um, issued this executive order to put this uh, temporary moratorium on new public oil and gas leases, um, which is, you know, the kind of thing that like Obviously, some attorneys generals are going to get pissed about. Um, and yeah, so, you know, some states led by Louisiana, I think 13 states led by Louisiana, sued them over it. Um, and in June, a federal judge basically ruled in their favor. That all happened. And the Biden administration is saying that in order to comply with the federal judge's ruling, they have to keep, you know, having oil and gas lease sales. Um, that's what the Biden administration is saying about this. But I I don't know. I mean, I talked to some kind of legal experts who basically made it seem like this is just way more than the administration has to do in order to comply with this order. Like the order says that you can't have a blanket, uh, you know, stop on these sales. Fine. But that doesn't mean that you have to, you know, but you still have all of the discretion that you had before. Like the Department of Interior doesn't only have the responsibility to sell oil and gas leases. It also has the, uh, you know, responsibility to like protect the environment, protect people, um, protect the climate. And this pretty clearly does not uh, align with any of those goals. Um, There's nothing in the order that says like the interior has to hold this lease sale. It just says that the interior cannot implement a pause on leasing. So, I mean, it's not the first time that we've seen the Biden administration sort of hide behind some sort of legal order in order to basically do what, um, you know, kind of maintain the status quo. And I think that's pretty clearly what we're seeing here, despite it's sort of, you know, hemming and hawing about how it had to do this. It had no choice. 
yeah, there's there's probably a middle ground between nothing at all and the biggest <laughs> in U.S. history. Um, exactly. Just, and we see how they mince words, find loopholes and exploits, weasel around and kind of, you know, get a little blurry with the details when it is, you know, a more progressive or populist position. Like, for instance, the checks thing is something we saw them uh, walk back. After going exactly. from $2,000 checks to, oh, we're going to actually continue on the 400 or 600 whatever, 800 that you got from Trump and just settle the difference, which is like when there's a when they want to do something like that, they'll absolutely figure out how best to uh, maneuver around whatever obstacles are in their way. But here it's just balls to the wall here. Yeah, just take the most of the fucking golf. Uh, it's. It's horrifying. And with so many of these types of things, especially campaign promises, it, there just doesn't, doesn't seem to be any political will uh, to do a lot yeah. of these things. And that's just really, really frustrating because these are long term consequences. I think the, the spike in emissions that are going to result from this are going to just drastically uh, impact the next 20 to 30 years uh, totally. of carbon emissions. Yeah, 100 percent. And like that. And it's a really important point that it's not just right now, like just because these leases are getting sold right now, if they're drilled in, it doesn't mean that anyone's going to be able to actually develop them immediately. It could take like 10 years to even start. And that means like, you know, we're past 2030, past the point where lots of scientists say that we need to be completely done with like all oil and gas drilling. And we're going to be starting new oil and gas drilling. Like it's just I mean, you know, it's just utterly absurd. Um, and this is, you know, it's not particularly surprising coming from an administration that's also like upheld the Trump era decision to drill in the Arctic and like suppressed lots of like youth led climate lawsuits and refused to shut down a bunch of pipelines. Um, yeah, it's I mean, it's it's true. It's uh, it's a complete lack of like interest in actually defending the the agenda that they ran on. Also, like. You know, I, I wrote about um, this this oil and gas lease sale uh, for the Boston Globe, and some people got in touch with me and were basically like, look, maybe he technically could have stopped this from happening, but that doesn't mean it would be like politically easy for him. It would be political suicide for him to do this. Like, it would invite so many more lawsuits. And yeah, I mean, like, I, I, I just... I don't care. I would, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, it would be... Exp I would expect that when it comes to something that's, like, a, an issue of life and death, like, any sort of politician with integrity would still, like, do the hard thing and invite all of the bullshit lawsuits and everything and, you know, do it anyway. Um, so, you know, what's, what's possible is not always what's easy, but, like, no one ever said it was going to be easy. It shouldn't be easy to be to be the president so yeah i mean like it might be political suicide to do it now but it might be actual suicide to continue along and pretend that like we can't we can't do any of these big uh these big solutions god that's right yeah i don't want to uh overheat the economy and just want to overheat yeah, exactly. the planet we want right? that. Yeah, yeah yeah um another thing i wanted to ask about cop 26 as well is that i saw especially from you know from representatives from from the u.s from the biden administration and from canada as well and a lot of kind of western nations there was a lot of um, there was a lot of talk, which I, I felt a little bit like a deflection from their own lack of action about like the developing world and about China specifically, um, without including a lot of the context about China. Like obviously China produces a lot of emissions, uh, but when they were kind of getting being lectured by all these like representatives from the, the Biden administration repeatedly from this from COP26 was always kind of left out about how, you know, per capita, their emissions are are uh, less than the United States. I mean, it's yes. a country of 1.4 billion people um, kind of completely ignoring 
um, the work that uh, that China is doing right now in in terms of like reforestation and building all this high speed rail and like totally. actually like taking action to uh, confront this in the future, like take measurable action, which is kind of we're not doing, um, and just kind of the basic idea as well that like we we've offshored all of our manufacturing to China and the rest of the developing world, Bangladesh and all these other places, um, which increases their emissions naturally. Like I'm exactly. sitting here talking on a laptop that was probably made in China that counts towards their emissions but it's Not because they're producing ours. all of the stuff that we're all using and all of this context was kind of completely left out of these kind of condescending lectures from the part of uh, the people from the Biden administration as we're talking as we're kind of deflecting the blame and talking about how you know really it's it's it really it's you know China's fault and, and India's fault and these other developing countries God yeah 100% um, 100% agree with all of those points and then also like on top of that you know China is maybe the largest emitter now as you said in large part because they're manufacturing so much shit for like the US and the rest of the global north. But the US is the largest historical emitter. Like, I mean, <laughs> the question of who has more of a responsibility, even yeah. if it were not like even if there wasn't this huge discrepancy in per capita emissions, the question of whose responsibility it is to like, kind of take on climate change from a historical perspective is like, I mean, there's just no question that the US is more responsible. Um, so yeah, I mean, the, the idea that like the U S needs to look to China to lead the climate fight, is just laughable. Um, I, I'm shocked like time and time again to see this talking point get parroted by like even the most well-meaning kinds of people. And, you know, also the U S military is one of the largest, if not the largest emitters, uh, uh, in, in the world. And exactly. if, if we really wanted to take on our own, uh, emissions in a meaningful way, drastic cuts to the military would be the response. But instead, we're currently debating a an increase on the already increased military budget this week uh, with the NDAA, uh, adding on, I think, another 25 or so billion more than what Congress uh, had initially asked for, which is already an increase. Uh, right. It's getting- weird that they can do that, isn't it? Just like, oh yeah, we, do you want? Do you need more? Do you yeah. need a couple more billion. We I, can do that. I That's was no problem. Only, That's yeah, weird. Only the military. I was <laughs> under the impression that without these two wars that Biden purportedly ended. Uh, yeah, that's a trillion dollars or something. That, you- that these are definitely not over, and they've just moved to yeah. more unseen uh, aerial uh, global. Uh, warfare, uh, but people sure. seemed liberals seem to like think that this is for sure over and done with. Uh, but with those two boots on the ground operations uh, uh, having ended, I would assume that would mean uh, less of less of a need for increased spending. But that's not the case. And at COP26, Abby Martin of the Empire Files asked uh, Pelosi right. and Pallone specifically about this and asked how you could say like, "Oh, we're taking this seriously when." Your actions simply on the military budget alone kind of flies in the face of that. And they both kind of said, oh, these aren't inconsistent. Like, you could, we take this very seriously, this and that. Not really a meaningful uh, or substantive response, but it's it's totally bogus because we're just going to continue doing the same old stuff with a few little bells and whistles here and there, uh, patting ourselves in the back. But you've got an increase in military spending. You've got more offshore drilling. You've got pipelines uh, across North America. Uh, you won't ban fracking. Uh, and maybe these tax credits for electric bicycles are going to be, be what saves us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The The vast majority of the, the climate shit that's in Build Back Better is, of course, tax incentives. And I mean, yes. OK, so on the on the like military front, too, 
part of what Pelosi said when Abby asked her about this at COP26 and what like the DOD has been saying forever is, you know, they justify these like just grossly inflated military budgets by saying that climate change is a national security threat. And yet again, today we see like the, you know, our secretary general and shit like that being like, oh, yeah, we we need more uh, resources to, to fight climate change and climate change is a national security threat. And where does that mean the resources need to go? The Department of Defense, which is already by far the largest institutional emitter in the world, like not just the country, the world, uh, the largest institutional consumer of gas and oil in the world. Um, yeah, it's it's a really, really disgusting, vicious cycle that apparently nobody in uh, in our party leadership is really willing to take on. Another thing that I wanted to, to dispel as well, this is something we else we heard a lot about at COP26, is the idea of net zero. We're going to get to mm-hmm. net zero by 2050 in these kind of big pledges. Uh, Biden's been talking about this. Of course, Justin Trudeau has been talking about this a lot, net zero. Um, and the thing that should be raising people's alarms uh, about this idea is the fact that Exxon and all these big oil companies are also very, very enthusiastic about the idea of getting to net zero emissions. That's right. Um, can you can you break down a little bit about like what that actually means? Because it's kind of like a rhetorical trick to make people think that we're going to be uh, getting to zero emissions, which is not actually the case, is it? Like, can you can you talk a little bit about what net zero actually means in reality? That's not kind of based in the sort of marketing speak of the the our political leaders. Yeah, totally. Um, net zero can mean a number of things. Uh, I think the two biggest things that it means when uh it's invoked at something like the climate talks are a carbon trading which is basically i um like the whatever i exxon Mobil, can emit however much uh carbon pollution i want to but if i just pay for some green projects in other places which by the way are frequently tied to like all sorts of human rights abuses if i pay for reforestation or you know like solar power manufacturing or something somewhere else um, then that, like all of the carbon that those projects would in theory remove from the atmosphere, um, count against mine. So I'm, you know, I'm emitting however much I want to, but because I've like contributed to carbon also being uh, removed from the atmosphere, I have zeroed out my emissions. Um, which is, I mean, obviously like that doesn't do anything about the pollution that happens in the first place. Um, and in some cases it's actually worse than nothing. Like, you know, when it comes to reforestation, there's been tons and tons of evidence that like in places like Indonesia, uh, all over the African continent, etc. Um, this is, these have been tied to like, you know, land grabs and, uh, removing indigenous people from their homes, like their historic homes. Uh, so, you know, in many cases far worse than doing nothing at all. The other big thing that it frequently means is uh, carbon capture and storage, um, which is oh, it's a, these very real technologies that totally exist exactly. and will <laughs> exist very shortly. Yes, of course. That's right. That's right. And they're you know they're working so so well right now, which is why the the only coal plant that actually had uh, carbon capture and storage facilities actually shut down in the U.S. recently. Um, but yeah, I mean, as you're, as you're sort of saying, uh, carbon <laughs> capture and storage are like, you know, machines that are supposed to exist, that are supposed to like scrub carbon from the atmosphere. And there's, I think I'm coming around to the idea that maybe like these will have to play some sort of tiny role for emissions from steel, like from, from shit like concrete and steel and things like this, some tiny, tiny role, um, if we can actually like get them to exist. But the idea that they should be able to replace getting off of oil and gas and coal. It's just like, I mean, no one, no one actually believes this, right? Like there is not 
no person who knows anything about climate change truly believes that we're going to be able to just keep emitting at the current rate and keep like, you know, expanding oil and gas and coal and everything and be fine if we just have carbon capture and storage. Um, but, you know, it allows these uh, the oil companies, et cetera, to like uh, maintain the same business plans and not really do anything differently. So. Well, and the amazing it. thing also is that, like, in fact, there does exist an incredible uh, carbon capture invention already known as a, a tree, tree. <laughs> um, yeah. which which ironically, uh, we're all we're chopping down now uh, in huge numbers and not not uh, not replacing with new trees. I mean, that's one thing Justin Trudeau has talked about his own climate plan to say nothing of all the different pledges that he's made that haven't come through. Um that's one thing that like he that he would say we would that's part of our sort of climate agenda is planting 1 billion trees and literally it's he's been in power in Canada for 6 7 years now and not one of these trees has actually been planted so exactly. that's the really discouraging thing is that even the things that we can control like that's something that we could actually do it's a technology that does exist um it's it wouldn't be that hard to actually get the process rolling on that to uh, start you know this this process of reforestation that would actually help things but we're not even doing that that's when I start to really feel alarmed and, about our future prospects here for confronting this yeah totally and like and in the U S and Canada and like you know whatever everywhere uh, we're not only not planting more trees but we're continually still cutting them down like the uh, largest national forest in the U.S. Um, in southeast Alaska, I think southeast, uh, the Tongass is like completely under attack now for again more oil and gas drilling. So you're cutting down things that suck carbon from the atmosphere in order to build more things that add more carbon to the atmosphere, and then you're not even replacing the trees in the first place. Like it's just a, uh, you know, total total clusterfuck. It's great. Yeah, and it's great. and in Brazil as well, the rainforest in Brazil being cut mm -hmm. down to make to to make space for like cattle farming. Um, and again, also also not being uh, not being replaced by anything as well, which yeah. I, which is, I believe the largest carbon sink in on the entire planet. Um, also kind of alarming. Did you see that, um, <laughs> that Elon Musk has been, uh, discussing with the Bolsonaro administration, um, like starting some sort of Tesla Amazon rainforest monitoring service, like Elon oh, Musk great. might get to make money off of monitoring deforestation. Well, now I feel better. I don't know why I was panicking there. Cause <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, exactly. Elon will save us. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. If it's as if it, if that technology would be as good as his his amazing uh, tunnel tunnel technology, then we're in good hands. I yeah. think. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, you know, we can definitely tech our way out of out of this as long as uh, Elon's <laughs> at the helm. Uh, so another thing I, I saw in Build Back Better were, were tax credits and incentives for. Uh, speaking of Elon Musk, electric vehicles along with mm -hmm. uh, electric bikes, and uh, I noticed that the phase out for e-bikes is at a much more rapid clip than uh, for vehicles. And um, sure, the bikes are, are cheaper, but it seems like we're still, you know, pushing toward like a, just, you know, a status quo adjacent approach uh, to all of this. And yeah. obviously the emissions from electric vehicles uh, are, you know, non-existent compared to... Um, uh, standard uh, gasoline-powered cars, but there's a there's an issue with the batteries, isn't that right? I, uh, this is something I don't know much about, but isn't there like the batteries and production still is uh, hazardous? Yeah, it's a so there's the two sort of main problems with electric vehicles is like one if you 
are still, um, you know, if they're electric, but they're still powered by a grid that's mostly powered by fossil fuels, that is better than diesel powered vehicles in most places. But it, you know, I mean, you that's only going so far, like you still have to decarbonize uh, the entire grid in order for those to be better. And so in the immediate term, that's why just like having fewer vehicles on the road in general um, is, is, you know, the right idea for, for one. Um, the other thing is, as you're sort of saying, uh, you know, it takes a lot of shit to make electric vehicles. Um, and maybe that's not going to result in as many carbon emissions, but it doesn't mean that it's totally safe. Um, you know, it requires, for instance, like lithium ion batteries for a lot of, uh, a lot of these vehicles to run and lithium ion batteries are pretty environmentally destructive to make. Um, you know, they can like deplete, uh, water resources in places where there's already droughts. Um, they can, you know, they've been the cause of, again, like displacement of, of many people. Um, it's also not exactly a renewable resource. Um, and it's not just lithium ion batteries. I think that's like the main one that people talk about, but there's other things like, you know, steel and, and, uh, you know, plastic and all the other shit that it takes to make a car in general. That doesn't mean like we should never have any electric vehicles, but it does certainly mean like if you can have on the one hand, a bus that can transport 50 people versus a car that can transport four people and use the same amount of resources to make the battery that that like vehicle runs on. It's just a no brainer, which one you should really be going for. And yet we've seen, I mean, there's like some talk of investments and like tax breaks and shit like that for more public transportation, but just nowhere near the level that we're seeing for shit, like building out charging infrastructure and, and manufacturing for electric vehicles, which is really, really bad. But um, again, like unsurprising, you know, lots and lots of opportunities for lots of people to make money off of these things. So yeah, well, it just it really speaks to our sort of inability to reimagine uh, anything rather than just doubling and tripling down on the status quo. Uh, you know, as you know, of course, we know America's kind of been built on this sort of car culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's this idea that like, oh, no, we can keep that we can all keep uh, we can keep that culture in place. Um, and but we're just going to make it we're just going to make it green um, rather than, you know, as you pointed out, really making an effort to reduce the number of vehicles, electric or otherwise, that are on the road by making these massive, massive investments in public transit, in like national and international high speed rail and these things. Yeah. Um, we it's we have this complete inability to try and reimagine the way that we we view transport in our society rather than just like the way that we've been doing things for the last uh, century. Totally. And, like even if it yeah. weren't for climate reasons, you can just imagine like, I mean, if carbon emissions were not a problem at all, like it would still be better for so many reasons to just have more public transit, right? Like it's really fucking expensive to own a car. Tons of people die in car accidents every year. Um, Highways were like in many cases actually created to destroy communities, especially like black communities in the United States. There's so many reasons that we should be moving away from this car centric culture besides just climate. But, uh, you know, like kind of siloing it to this one issue makes it seem like uh, E. EVs are are the answer. Uh, so, th- I, I found the the oil offshore drilling uh, to be a total break from the camp uh, the Biden campaign promise. Uh, pretty explicitly saying, like in response to Trump, because Trump had supported it and then tried to walk it back as the campaign got closer. Uh, him, Biden was saying, like, no new offshore drilling, um, and we've seen kind of like a, a, a meager attempt to take on climate change uh, recently from the administration. And this was, you know, at the onset, Biden tried to frame himself as the climate president. I mean, are there reasons to feel good 
uh, at all? Or is this just totally like bogus kind of hollow posturing with a few tweaks around the edges? I mean, I guess kind of like it, it depends on what you feel good about. Like there's a lot of talk about historic measures, about unprecedented measures. And it's true that there have been some of those, right? Like the infrastructure bill included some historic and unprecedented climate measures. The Build Back Better bill right now, even if it gets cut down, will still amount to the largest investment in like climate infrastructure ever seen in the US. Um, all of that is true. Biden has done some historic things, but those things are still completely just like, you know, dwarfed by the level of action that we actually need. Um, and so I think it kind of depends like what yardstick you're using. If the yardstick you're using is like what we actually need to survive, which I think is the important one. Um, no, I don't think that we should be feeling hopeful at all. And I don't think that we should be like applauding any of these actions uh, from that standpoint. Um, but politically, like, sure, maybe he's moved the needle. The problem is that we don't really have a ton of time to like slowly move the needle on this issue, right? Like we're, we're no, we're running out of time to lower carbon emissions before we get to truly catastrophic levels of global warming. So um, yeah, and another another thing that I think no one's really addressing as well is that a lot of these these like quote unquote historic investments are all going to be do happening you know over the next decade. Sure. Like it's not it's not anything that's going to like be implemented right away, and that also re would require you know Biden or the Democratic Party to retain control of the political process in the United States, which right now is not really looking like a very solid prospect. Like a Biden's polling totally. right now completely underwater. Um, it looks at the moment unless some drastic change happens that they're heading to, for complete electoral disaster over the next couple of years and like there's there's a, i feel like there's a strong likelihood that there's just going to be some other reactionary uh climate denier in, in charge of the levers of power in the u.s government pretty soon um whether it's whether it's you know donald trump himself coming back or someone else um it's not it's not looking very positive for the ability for them to even like uh live up to or fulfill these big promises that they're trying to make right now even if even if you might find some stuff in there that you you can feel feel okay about yeah god 100 percent. i don't think that polling is obviously everything um there's lots of reasons to not trust polls and there's lots of reasons to like not um let them kind of define your politics or whatever but you know, there's lots and lots of evidence that Americans are really down to vote for transformative climate policy. So even just on that basis alone, like you would think it would at least be in Biden's best interest to try to secure some more votes by like sticking to some of his promises. Um, but you're right, like <laughs> it's looking really, really bad for him right now. And that's, I think, entirely his own fault. So uh, you know, it's like a, again, bad, bad cycle to get in. You don't pass any like truly transformative policies. Um, you kind of kick the can down the road and then you ruin your ability to actually do anything later by, uh, not passing the transformative policies that people want to vote for. Um, that's always been the really weird thing about seeing a lot of this process play out is how popular a lot of these big, bold, progressive, policies whether it's with climate or anything else how how popular they are and how well they they actually pull where if they actually fought for it that might actually mean a positive thing that might actually lead to them you know being able to secure more electoral victories and things like that but it seems like even what they've done so far there's already these very prominent voices in the democratic party in the sort of establishment liberal media saying like oh no you've gone too far this is why you're losing now is because people are too too put off by the your your your, your extreme your extremist policy 
policies that you're implementing here. Exactly. And, you know, that's it, ridiculous to say, but it seems like there's a lot of people still uh, in the Democratic Party that buy into this idea that like, oh, we, we can't overreach because then that's going to cost us while ignoring all the ways that like these these kind of bold policies, particularly when it comes to climate, are super popular. And that would probably get a lot of people very excited if they actually, you know, uh, meaningfully pushed for them. Totally. Yeah, totally. Especially if you tie them to like improving people's lives in the meanwhile, you know, shit like uh, decarbonizing buildings or like, you know, having more green public housing or uh, having more public transit, things like this. Like there's lots of things that you can even do to appeal to people who don't care at all about climate change, um, but appeal to like their immediate concerns that are also very, very good for the atmosphere. Um, but not a lot of focus there, it seems. Which is amazing, too, because that's the entire point of what the Green New Deal is supposed to be about. Exactly. Which, you know, Biden has explicitly said that he's against. And, you know, uh, Pelosi famously called it the the Green, green Dream, dream I believe. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, or whatever right. was her. Great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Good Our stuff. inspiring leaders. <laughs> uh, Love it. I mean, speaking of feeling inspired, which I just saw, I sent it in the in our chat here. Uh, <laughs> Biden is going to run again in 2024, according to Jen Psaki. In, in 2022, he'll, he will be uh, 82. And like you said, whether polling is reflective of actual performance or not remains to be seen. But he's not doing well. But also, they're probably going to get shellacked in the midterms next year. And cause that's just kind of how history is. Uh, after a change in administration, midterms are typically pretty bad, at least in the House for the party in power and it doesn't look well, especially like after not delivering on the things that you can't that's what i'm saying well. yeah mm -hmm. like they're not yeah. going to have a lot to run on i mean what are you going to have <laughs> you, i mean if they don't this cancel time we're really going to do it yeah, yeah. like yeah, what, yeah. what are you going to say need to vote a little bit more we just we need what like your own party is standing in your exactly. way like you can't even control this time your own party. after we lose our majorities then we're really going to do it yeah and, and yeah. it's going to be infrastructure which hey you know that construction that makes you late for work that was us like that's that's <laughs> yeah, it totally. i mean what are you gonna people aren't going to associate tax credits if they even know how to claim them or redeem them or qualify for them or actually have the means to buy a car or e-bike or whatever mm -hmm. um you know maybe the chi i don't know if the child tax credit uh child income whatever tax credit is going to be enough to get them over the hump uh, because people don't typically associate that kind of stuff specifically with a party in power because it's like so distant from election day. Yeah, totally. I mean, even just like on the level of, I don't, I mean, messaging is like stupid. Like the real, the actual thing of import is the like, you know, actual action that we get out of the administration. But even just on that front, like, okay, if you're going to make your whole fucking thing about these like tax breaks at least do something to make sure that people know about them um but it's like even these tiny things they don't seem to really care about uh voters who they're gonna need um being able to actually have access to and like you know any knowledge of it's pretty i mean just on every level it seems like they're really uh i don't know not not interested in winning or whatever it's like that um what's it we um we are unelectable and we hate ourselves thing from the Simpsons. We've tried nothing and we're all out of yeah, ideas. That's the way. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, well, and listen, like I mentioned Trudeau, I just don't want to, I don't want to, 
make you to think that all I think it's it's all America's fault and it's all the American political process is the problem because we're seeing some like a number of things happening in Canada right now which is is also you know filling me with the exact same sense of of existential dread there's massive massive uh flooding in, in happening in BC right now kind of unprecedented one of these like once in a generation things that now seems to be happening multiple times a generation that's right um just three months ago there was massive wildfires uh, also unprecedented, and now three months later, many of these same areas um, are now experiencing this massive flooding. You have huge infrastructure damage, and part of part of this is related as well because, like the the forestry is is a sort of natural barricade to um, these kinds of like uh, flooding and, and mudslides and things that we're seeing in BC. But because of all the logging activity and the wildfires, now it's, it's having this kind of like feedback loop effect. We're seeing massive environmental devastation um, in BC right now. And what we're seeing as well is that rather than kind of focus on taking that moment to push through like radical climate action. And by the way, this is not, it's not the, the mean conservatives that are in charge in BC. It's not even the liberal party, Justin Trudeau's liberal party. It's our, it's our wonderful benevolent social democratic party the NDP um, are in charge in BC right now and rather than taking this moment to say okay we need real substantive you know uh, climate action right now and taking that moment to really act on some of these big uh, ideas they're literally sending in uh, the RCMP as the basically um, publicly subsidized armed thugs to force through this coastal gas link pipeline and they're going into these um, blockades that have been erected in in Wet'suwet'en territory um, which is unceded land it's literally not even Canada Um, and you know violently assaulting and arresting uh, indigenous climate protesters and and uh it's really really horrific to see and you know it's that's the kind of thing that i hope people start to realize when it comes to canada as well is that you know um it really is that that's really Canada like fulfilling its whole its whole purpose like that's exactly what Canada is I mean it would be alarming at any point but it's extra alarming when it's happening in the midst of this massive climate devastation the people that have that are putting their bodies on the line to ensure that this kind of uh, infrastructure doesn't get built and the problem doesn't get worse are the ones that are getting the brunt of the the state violence um yeah it's really, really upsetting. Yeah, 100%. Um, and this is like a, a fight that's been going on for quite a while. I remember doing some reporting last year on, uh, you know, again, like this just awful, um, violent uh, sort of crackdown on protesters uh, on wet, sweat and territory where the coastal gasoline pipeline is supposed to, you know, be built and then kind of goes away, you know, they get away with it completely. Um, Now they arrested another 30 people. And part of the reason they can get away with it is because they're like also now arresting members of the press who are trying to get the story out there to people. Um, Not that like, whatever, not that arresting like journalists is is in some way worse than arresting indigenous protesters, obviously. Um, Yeah, but But that's the thing. It's the only thing that seems to get actual journalists to pay attention. Totally. It's like, hey, this is now it's bad. Now it's really now it's upsetting. We have to really focus on this now. Totally, which is awful and and fucked up and should (laughs) not be the case. Um, But I mean, I don't I don't think that it's uh, uh, I don't think that it's unintentional, I guess, to try to crack down on also like the people who would make it so that, you know, like that the two groups of people who could possibly uh, raise any sort of stink about this are the protesters who are having the action in the first place and the journalists who are covering it. Uh, and there's been massive crackdowns on both groups of people, which means that the whole thing will just somehow go away. Um, there'll be no accountability, it seems, despite like whatever sort of violence is inflicted against protesters and, and journalists. 
Yeah, and it's we saw it was it's similar to what we saw as well at the Standing Rock protests, exactly, um, which happened under Obama as well, which is it made it extra disgusting to see Obama sort of lecture everyone about not being enthusiastic enough uh, about these incremental policies when he was the one that was kind of overseeing that um, it, when that was happening, That's and it's fair. which is continuing under Biden as well. Another thing as well that when it comes to these kinds of pipeline projects, specifically this this coastal gas link pipeline, um, there's this kind of rhetorical trick that these oil companies use to try and justify these projects when they talk about how it you know impacts these communities and including these indigenous uh, partners getting these jobs. They're getting jobs for this pipeline. It's 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 you know improving their material conditions. It's helping these communities. But there's this kind of two step that's happening when it comes to like the jobs versus the profits. That's the kind of thing that I try to remind people. Of as well when we talk mm-hmm. about this which is that it's not like these are like national oil companies and we're we're becoming energy independent because we're building these pipelines or it's like we're moving this product to the market as we often hear about and then it's it's you know going into infrastructure and schools and social programs in this country that is not no, what is happening going abroad like yeah yeah sorry, you have a, you sure. have maybe a few hundred or a few thousand people that are actually employed by these uh, p- companies and you know good great for them but the actual profits from these projects uh first of all the product is going again to offshore they're going to like texas owned or like saudi owned uh, oil companies mm-hmm. all the profits are going towards like the the ceos and shareholders of these companies and getting mm-hmm. parked in like offshore tax havens there's literally no real benefit to the people in this country but the way that the, the government and the oil companies sell this to people is that it's this really this this really positive thing that's impacting these communities and bringing jobs and prosperity to these communities and energy independence it's 100 percent bullshit totally. and i don't think enough people are, are completely aware of that yeah agreed agreed i think that like if 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 anything showed us how little uh the executives and the shareholders and shit care about the workers it was covid right where there's like yes you know executives are getting massive especially oil executives i think are, get, are getting like massive massive uh pay increases and shareholders are seeing record profits and all of this shit and then they're laying off workers in droves um as and of course, all these projects were also exempt from any of the public health guidelines. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, they doubled and tripled down and increased production in a lot of these things for the exact reason that they knew that there'd be less resistance and there'd be less blockades and less less people, uh, you know, paying attention to what they were doing while this big crisis was going on. Totally. Yeah, totally. And I mean, <laughs> we've seen like over many, many decades, uh, the kinds of health issues that the workers too can see from, from this kind of, uh, you know, good or dirty infrastructure build out, but doesn't, doesn't really seem to enter the conversation when we're talking about jobs. So Rob on the Canadian point, uh, there was a comment, I think Trudeau made shortly after COP26, where he said something like, we're an oil and gas country. Was that right? Yeah. No, he said he said company. Yeah. company. Yeah. Oh. That's the thing. He misspoke. <laughs> that he said the quiet part out loud. It was the really. It was really amazing. Yeah. Um. Because that's what that's what people that are in this uh, that live in this country that are kind of like involved in these conversations. That's what we've been saying for a long time. Uh, it isn't actually a real country. It's a completely fake country. Uh, it is basically a a oil and gas producing company, and as well as logging and uh, and mining as well. Yep. Um. And then we kind of have this kind of fake culture this fake democratic system give this veneer of of legitimacy to it um but that's what it that's what it's really about and that's was the amazing thing about that clip was that he was really just saying saying what this country is really is and kind of misspoken you could tell that as soon as he said it he was like oh <laughs> whoops uh kind of wasn't supposed to say that part out loud but yeah, okay yeah, exactly. but it was really amazing it was a really amazing moment yeah i'm sorry for you that is but that is just like <laughs> that's that cynicism uh from the from these folks it's just 
it's so maddening. Um, I don't, I don't know what we do. I don't know where we go from here uh, because it's just, it seems like oil and gas and their lobbyists just have a stranglehold on all of these countries and coal um, here and in China just block, uh, <laughs> block any even feeble attempt to address this problem. And they're all going to be dead and gone when the consequences get here. So uh, I, I don't know where we go from here. Yeah. Well, I think that's the, that's the kind of main takeaway from some of these conversations is just that, you know, our, our whole democracy, such as it is, is kind of, it just, it exists to give a sort of legitimacy to this resource extraction project. I mean, that's the main, that's the main goal for what, yeah. what these governments are here for in the first place. Totally. Um, and that's the thing when we talk about what the Wet'suwet'en are doing, or when you talk about Standing Rock or any of these other kind of land protectors, I mean, that's when you talk about what we do, that is, they've been kind of telling us, they've been giving us the answer to that for, for many generations now. Um, Cause that's really the only thing that is ever going to threaten uh, threaten the capital that is causing all of this, right? Is by literally putting our bodies in the way to ensure that these these projects don't get built. Um, that's exactly why these people are treated the, the way they are by by sending in militarized police forces to uh, to bust them up because they're actually threatening the ability for these companies to continue these projects. Um, and that's the thing. I think there's things we can do in the in within our electoral system. You know, I don't want to say that it's blood completely black pill anyone in this idea that that anything can be accomplished. But really, ultimately, I think that's going to be the future of of climate activism, um, and as well as the past is is by these kind of blockades and targeted actions at delaying or uh, dismantling this infrastructure from being built in the first place. Yeah, I I agree. Um on on both of these um although i will say like i think as there's more resistance that the state will also do more and more to repress that not again not to like yeah. obviously not to i'm also not trying to black pill anyone i'm not trying to be like nothing will ever work but no uh, it's it's it is true though it's yeah. undeniable yeah <laughs> i mean we saw like the horrendous like just completely i think clearly um, disgusting levels of repression at uh, Standing Rock, you know, with like private security hired and like, uh, you know, just like a absurd like levels of, of crackdown on, on protesters' freedoms and shit like this. Um, and I think that, that that's not going to ramp down anytime soon. Um, if there's more action, then there will also be more reaction. Um, and I don't know what the answer is to that. Like, I'm not saying that means, uh, obviously, that doesn't mean like, activism is bad um or like don't try um but you know i guess no but i think i think it's a good point though and it's like anyone that wants to get involved in that kind of activism has to be really clear-eyed about what that can potentially mean there there really isn't an easy answer to any to any of it i mean that's that's the reality that we're kind of faced with here that's true yeah totally well, on that uplifting note, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's always, always happening. God, that's so horrible. <laughs> We're doomed. We're doomed. <laughs> um, Darna, uh, you had a job change lately. Congrats. Thank you. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I went full lamestream, baby. <laughs> uh, yeah. So now you're part of the. Uh, corporate democratic media of course that just seems to be what every every media outlet is these days or so i read online uh but no congrats exactly. you're at the you're at the boston globe now it's a prestigious paper it's a pulitzer prize winning paper that's awesome 
Thank you. Yeah, thanks. It's been um, pretty exciting and also very, very different, obviously. Sure, so I can imagine. Yeah. Uh, but that rocks. Sure. Well-deserved. Um, where can people follow you and read your work? Um, I am on Twitter at my name, which is probably you can uh, see it in like the name of this episode or something. So I won't spell it. Which we we definitely will spell properly this time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And I am writing for the Boston Globe, so you can read my work there. Well, thanks so much, Darna, for joining us again. It was great to talk to you. And that's it. As as depressing as some of these conversations can be, uh, it is really inspiring to know that there are folks out there, you know, in the, in the activism world, in the media world that are trying to, uh, trying to indicate to people the level of crisis that we're dealing with. I mean, that's really the only, that's the only thing we can really latch onto now. So we really appreciate the work that you do. Thanks so much for coming on and, and breaking it down for us. Thank you so much for having me and right back at you. I think like, you know, tying all of these things together and showing how they're related to like, you know, all of the issues in like foreign policy and the economy and everything is, is something that you all are clearly doing really well. So thanks for doing that too. Well, that's kind of a positive oh, note to leave it. That's yeah, nice. that's a good one. Yeah, we did it. We did it. All is not lost. <laughs> we did it, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Darnell. Thank we'll you, talk Darnell. to you later. Talk to you soon. Bye, all. Thank you for listening to The Insurgents. Please remember to subscribe over at theinsurgents.substack.com. Find the podcast on all your favorite podcast apps. And please remember to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It's very helpful and we appreciate it a lot. But please, again, don't mention Ken Klippenstein in the review. He is banned from the show. It's a lifetime ban. So please do not mention him in the review. And we'll be back later this week with more of the content that you know and love. Goodbye. Goodbye.